Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan. Why are you looking at me like that? I or wasn't, Instagram I, Aaron underscore Dugan. I was not, in fact, looking at you at all. But you just you always hide behind your mic in this in this Zoom video, and for some reason, right then you peeped out from behind it. We are properly socially distanced during a very <laughs> surging period of time in COVID and Thanksgiving and holidays. And that is why we are socially distanced properly following CDC guidelines for this podcast. Rate, review, big, and subscribe, please. Big guideline people, the two of us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so a ton of stuff to get to today on the show. Chris Lee of VandySports.com, the officially licensed site of the Rivals.com network covering Vanderbilt sports. He's going to have your hot board and sort of a breakdown of where Vanderbilt should be going on their coaching search. We did this with Josh Kendall from The Athletic a few weeks ago when South Carolina let Will Muschamp go. We'll get to some thoughts on Will Muschamp. We'll get to a lot of talk about Derek Mason in a few minutes as well. We've got conversations about Gus Malzahn, Aaron. I don't know if, if Auburn fans have found God, found logic, found reason. I don't know. I don't know if social media is the right place for me to ask that question, but we will, in fact, ask that question in just a few minutes. We'll look ahead, of course, to uh, week 14, which is still like weeks away from the championship game, whatever. Uh, and so there's there's a lot of stuff to do today on the show, Aaron. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, we are indeed socially distanced. Um, and I'm calling you out. I don't care. I'm calling you out because I got in trouble one time for taking a sip of my drink during the podcast because you said it screwed up the audio. And mine has ice in it because it's ice water. But yours is not going to make a noise because you're drinking a martini. And once again, you didn't offer. You can't offer me a drink this time because I'm not with you. But you also didn't tell me you were drinking, which personally offends me. We're recording in the evening time, which I assume automatically means beverage time for anyone recording a podcast in the evening who is, I don't know, late thirties with two small children during a pandemic. That's just sort of my policy is that, you know, it's, it's beverage time. So things might get a little loose on the show tonight. Who knows? We'll see. Fair enough. Moving on. Yep. Uh, So playoff rankings are out. Let's get started with the playoff rankings, Aaron, if you want to do that. Uh, Basically nothing changed. And it's, I think it's the first time in what, six or seven years, 2014 was the first year. It, It is the first time from one week to the next that the top seven teams didn't change. And I'm not surprised by that at all. And I'm going to, I'm going to flip the question asking, you know, game on its head because you are the play college football playoff expert. And if something had changed this past week, what would it have been? I I don't, I I honestly don't know. Uh, Maybe dropping Ohio state because they've only played four games and they continue to get games canceled. But otherwise, okay. I actually my rankings don't don't match the playoff rankings. But if I was projecting the committee's rankings, I thought the top seven should stay the same, and they did. So I don't, you know, there's not a whole lot of drama there. So you know, like I, I don't think there is something that should have changed. Honestly, I, I do think Ohio State's the big story, and how they're going to evaluate Ohio State, especially if they only play five games and don't win a championship, and you know, I think that's going to be really hard to evaluate. But other than that, I don't think there's any problem at all with them sort of leaving it as, as B because Clemson was great. Notre Dame was great. Alabama was great. You know, Florida was pretty solid. A&M was okay. They didn't make a case to jump anybody. So I think it was, it is what it is. Cincinnati, Cincinnati didn't play. So why do you, why do you think there's such a disconnect Braden between you and the committee? I like Florida a whole lot and don't love Notre Dame. 
th- those are the two that are probably different from me in the committee. Um, okay. I just, I, I think Florida is virtually unstoppable on offense and I, I still Notre Dame's weaponry on offense and everyone's going to say, Oh, you don't like Notre Dame because of the past. And, and that's not a factor here. They were exceptional against North Carolina. Their defense was great, but the reason I don't love Notre Dame as much as I love Alabama and Clemson one and two is I, if, if Notre Dame has to get into a high scoring shootout with somebody, I'm not sure if they have the weaponry and the arsenal to keep up with teams like Alabama. They barely had enough weaponry to keep up with the backup quarterback at Clemson. So that's my concern. Notre Dame is really good, but that's my concern is, is keeping up with Florida and, and same, you know, Notre Dame has no defensive questions. Florida has lots of defensive questions. So it's, you know, pick your poison on what you, what you think. Which side wins. Yeah, exactly. Things that didn't disappoint you, however, the color scheme of, what was it, Notre Dame and North Carolina? You loved the the color scheme. Just the, just the aesthetics of that game really got you going. Yeah, really. From the only Twitter, only tweet of yours I've probably ever read. Red, yeah, don't don't admit don't admit that you've ever seen any of my social media accounts, Aaron. Um, that would, you. Yeah, you've got a brand to maintain. Yeah. Uh, I it, it is. Um, I do find like settings in college football, and this is not an SEC commentary at all. But I do find settings and uniforms like to be aesthetically pleasing to the eye over other ones. Like I thought Notre Dame with the Golden Dome and the North Carolina, the baby blue Tar Heel blue in chapel hill which is a very pretty place like i just thought that was a really aesthetically pleasing football game from a from a visual standpoint i think the pac-12 is actually the most aesthetically pleasing football like the settings are gorgeous with the mountains and you know i just think the uniforms the offenses are fun to watch like i just think i think the pac-12 is the most aesthetically pleasing football i I think the sec is the best football do you think that we should have uniforms no definitely not do you find it like hard to figure out don't put me in a box aaron dugan don't you feel like it's like hard to, well, maybe not for you, but I don't know what to wear for an at-home podcast. Like, I feel like we should have uniforms. Anything you want. Actually, wait, I have an idea. Oh God, what are you doing? She is, put the headset down. I think she planned this, but I'm not 100% positive because she's now run away from the microphone and the computer and has walked into what looks like either a bedroom or a closet. And for those that don't know, and she can't hear me right now, Aaron lives in a, I believe a loft apartment, maybe a one bedroom. And so I think there's a door, maybe two. And she's disappeared into that doorway. And at some point we'll return with something else on. And it appears to be. We should be the SEC llamas. Okay. I don't know what that is. It's a tracksuit. It's a llama tracksuit. What do you think it is? It's a, is it a onesie? No, hold on. No, it's two pieces, but they, I mean, they both have llamas. It's actually a very quick wardrobe change by you. Thank you. I always know where it is. You know, got to have that llama, got to have that llama suit ready to go. I keep it hung in the hall closet at all times. So that's a hall closet. It's not a bedroom. Mm-mm. My bedroom closet's really small. Do you see it? Yep. That's the other door in the apartment. Yeah, that's, yeah. I need more space than this. Okay. okay. Well, anyway, I'm we in a llama tracksuit now. 
Um, I, I don't. I don't think we should have uniforms. I think we should be able to wear llama tracksuits if we want. I think that's a. Yeah, but you could have a llama tracksuit. Nope, I'm good. I'm wearing my dude, my dude sweater. I'm ready to Your go. East Nashville hipster outfit. Nope, um, it's the Big Lebowski. That's what it is. I'm inspired okay, by a, the dude. Yeah, that's fine. My dad would be mad at me if I talked trash about that, so I'm not don't, going to. Don't you upset Dennis now, okay? Oh, I don't want to. Don't you mess with him. Okay, uh, keep all going. right. Sorry for the sorry yeah. for the little side the side swipe there. So I'll bring us back on track here. So the big thing you need to watch as an SEC fan with the rankings, and I think there there's some good news, uh, obviously not not good news that potentially a bunch of teams have COVID, which is bad, but it, it could be good news for Texas A&M and or Alabama, potentially if they lose to, to Florida in the SEC championship game. If Ohio State does not play enough games, they will not be eligible to play in the Big Ten title game which therefore means they could have five or six wins on their resume. They could be five or six and zero oh at the end of the year when the committee has to look at them. And if I'm A&M and I'm going to beat, they've got Auburn this week and then Ole Miss and T- Tennessee. If I'm Alabama and I lose to Florida and I'm nine and one or 10 and one, if I'm a one loss SEC team, I'm looking at five and zero oh Ohio state or six and zero oh Ohio state. And I'm saying, what in the hell has that team proven in five Big Ten games that we haven't proven in 10 or 11 SEC games? So I think that's where SEC fans can say, we've got a chance here to that Ohio State just might not be allowed to be eligible for, you know, in the committee's minds, potentially. That's tough because as, as a committee, they said from the jump that no matter how the season went, they were going to try to evaluate not based on number of games, correct? At a certain point, how do you really make that fair? Because if someone's been through, like you said, a 10-game SEC-only schedule, how do you compare them to a five, six-game, whatever it's going to end up being I, I, I don't, team in a different know. conference? I'm not sure you can do that in a fair way. So I, under, I understand also why SEC fans would be a little at odds with that my answer to sort of everyone on all sides of this argument, no matter what happens and no matter who gets pissed off, because someone's going to get pissed off. My answer would be, you signed up for all this guys. Like this was the plan. And if you didn't think this was going to happen, you were walking around with your head in the sand for the last nine months, because this was obviously going to happen. Games were going to get canceled. The season was going to limp to the finish. I I hope that if Ohio state is worthy, that they get in, I want to see a team that's worthy, get in. If they go 5-0 and and don't have a win over anybody but Indiana, then I can see Florida or Alabama as a one-loss team or Florida as a two-loss team or A&M as a one-loss team being more worthy of playing in the playoff. That's all. Especially if Florida's two losses are to the number current number five team and the current number one. It'll be hard to convince the committee to, to put them in if you don't also put A&M in. Right. If AM has a better record and a head to head win, AM's probably going to get in. But that, yeah, could, and they don't have anyone left. Who's left on AM's schedule? I don't they, have it in front of me. Auburn, Auburn, Ole Miss, and Tennessee. So, oh. you know, d- tough games, games that you have to go out and win that are good games, but not elite opponents. If, if Clemson gets knocked out by Notre Dame and they have two losses and Ohio State doesn't have enough games, that does open up two spots, though. So in the, in theory, we're making the case for the SEC to get three teams into the playoffs is what we're talking about here. I, I don't think a two-loss Florida gets in. Only because it's AM. Man, that would suck for them. Yeah. I do if they beat Alabama, they're in automatically. 
So I, you know, if you're Florida, I don't. That's a it, big it, if. No, I don't think they win. But it, but it works itself out, right? Like if you beat Alabama, you're in. If you lose to Alabama, you're probably out. And then A and M becomes the second place SEC team. So I, I think it does, in the committee's eyes at least, I think it's cleaner than people think. Yeah, that's probably fair. Hmm. Interesting conversation though. Things to talk about. Interesting tracksuit. Uh, do you have anything <laughs> else you would like to talk about with the committee? Uh, Georgia moved up from like nine to eight. They're the number one two-loss team. I don't know. Congratulations. Maybe. I'm sure they're basking in that. <laughs> Georgia fans are. Georgia fans are a bit spicy right now. Are they spicy? Have they been coming at you? Well, they they come at everybody because the media doesn't know what actually happened with JT Daniels. Nobody knows. Oh yeah. Remember. I do. <laughs> what an interesting day. Yeah, yeah no. Uh, All right. I don't know to tell them. Let's look at some coaching searches. Vanderbilt has fired their coach, Derek Mason. And you, you are obviously, we, we both are very close to the program, having lived in Nashville for a large chunk of time here. And I've been inside those walls. You've been inside those walls. And we both know that those walls need a new coat of paint. So I, I think there's a lot to discuss here. But just first, in your opinion, Aaron, what – if you were the coach being interviewed to take the Vanderbilt job, if you're one of those candidates, what are you asking Vanderbilt? What do you want to know about Vanderbilt to, t- to convince you to come coach at Vanderbilt? Ooh, we got to talk about mate. We got to talk about Mason. So we'll go back to that, but this first, cause you know, I can't breeze over that. No, no, no. I don't want to. I think it's just overall backing of, athletics how much not only how much do you care about the success of athletics because at the end of the day the university has to hit a certain number you know in the like the checkbook you got to like break even or make money or whatever they're trying to do but at the end of the day you have to know that they understand the importance of investing in athletics not only just to say they did it but also to understand the potential profit there and the potential value add for the student athletes as a part of a university who's trying to grow towards you know more towards an ivy league school than anything else so do you understand the importance of athletics Do you understand that investment on the front end, even though it may not get you to where you want to be on the books this year is important because I think a big thing, it's going to be even more present this year is, is it making us money? And right now the investment that Vanderbilt has to make in athletics, not only facility wise, which is apparently, you know, on the up and up, but also just in other ways, whether it's staffing, whether it's, you know, campaigning, whether it's advertising, whatever it is, you have to understand that maybe that doesn't get you there this year financially on the books where you need to be, but it's important in the future because, you know, Social media, advertising is important for recruiting. Recruiting is important for winning. Winning is important for fandom. Fandom is important for making money. There's a lot of factors. And I just, I think that my question would be, do you understand that these investments now have long-term payout? And are you willing to take those? I I think that's right. And uh, the reason I wanted to ask you that question first, before we talk Derek Mason is because 
While there are many questions about Derek Mason, I, there's a lot of things I could point to from a football standpoint that say probably shouldn't hire your buddy to be your offensive coordinator in year one. You know, like there's a lot of things that he's that he did that I don't, you know, I, I think it was okay for Vanderbilt to move on from Derek Mason. I don't think that was that big of a surprise. And I don't think it, I don't have a problem with it trying something different from him. He's had six and a half years and I think he's won 10 games in the SEC, three of them against Tennessee. But the, the reason I asked that question is because I also don't think it's fair to look at Derek Mason's resume at Vanderbilt and say, that's who you are. Because I don't think you can do that for any coach at Vanderbilt because of the reasons you just mentioned. I, and I will be the biggest hope, like hopeful person and advocate that Candace as a former student athlete, as someone who understands the way the university operates in conjunction with athletics, that she can be a good liaison between talking them. about the athletic director. Yeah. Talking about the athletic director, uh, Candace Lee, that she can be a good liaison between the university and between athletics because she knows the uni- she knows everyone, you know, on the university side really well. She has a good relationship with them, which is why she's where, why she is where she is. And then of course she has you know, every, every experience as an, in athletics, as a student athlete, and now as the AD. So I hope that she can portray that, but you're right. It's hard. It is going to be really hard as of everything we've seen up to this point to judge a Vanderbilt football coach, the way you judge anyone else, because there are some speed bumps, some tall oh, ones. You're, you're being you very, jump over. you're being very kind. It's really hard. (laughs) You've been inside facilities around the country. I've been inside facilities around the country. I've been to A&M. I've been to Tennessee. I've I've been, and we've been to to Vanderbilt. And they, I don't know, like it's 30 years behind too harsh or is it 20 years or is it 15 years? The point being, I would look at the person interviewing me and I'd say, how much do you care about my success here? How much do you care? And I'm not talking about Candace Lee. I'm talking about, yeah. the administration on the academic side at Vanderbilt. And that is, unfortunately, you and I live here, and so we know this story, and it's a broken record. For those that don't live in Nashville and aren't, you know, don't don't hear this conversation all the time, the conversation is you have a $2 billion endowment, and when are you going to spend some of it on football? And, I think that might be low. And, right, exactly. And so I that's would look the, that number up, yeah. That's the story, is like how, when are you going to invest? And James Franklin put it in his contract when he took the job at Vanderbilt that he needed to have an indoor practice facility paid for or, he, or mm-hmm. else he got some bonuses or something along those lines. And, and Chris Lee will tell, tell you more about this in a minute. But it's no – like the rest of the SEC doesn't have a problem putting their money where their mouth is. It, it, they may not win, but at least they're trying really hard. Right. Vanderbilt isn't trying really hard when it comes to spending money, and that's why it's hard to evaluate Derek Mason and other coaches – And it's why if I'm one of the candidates, I'm asking those questions. That's totally fair. And as a candidate, you should ask all of those questions because not only when we talk about this coaching search and we get into who is maybe a potential candidate for Vanderbilt, and a lot of people are like, okay, yeah, of course you would jump on this job. You know, it's power five, it's whatever. But there are some contingencies, like you just mentioned, that are, are you going to support me? can you set me up for success here? And unless the university makes big leaps to do that and to prove that as a candidate, you have to be, you have to be concerned. 
you need, and yes, we're behind. I will, I, there's no secret about it. Any coach would tell you, I'll tell you, Candace would tell you like, yeah, we were behind. That's, they're trying to make moves in that direction, but we have a long way to go. I keep saying we, in writing, in writing. I'm a coach. I want it in writing. I don't care what press release you put out. I don't care what plans you distribute to the newspapers and the radio guys get in writing in my contract and timing. How soon? <laughs> right. Exactly. right. By the three years that it's taking you to build all this, am I fired again or am I still coaching there? <laughs> Did um, someone else benefit from that? Yeah, that, that, that's the question. And so I, I do think, again, I think Derek Mason, if you told me right now, I guess, you know, he's not a coach anymore in the sec, but if you told me my, my four and two year old daughters need a place to stay for the afternoon while my wife and I go on a bender and I need my coach to, I need to, I had to pick one of the 14 SEC coaches to babysit my children. Derek Mason is number one with a bullet on the list. So the quality of dude is not the problem nope. uh, in, in an industry with a lot of slimy dudes. Like that's, he's not the problem. Like there are lots of fair criticisms of Derek Mason, the coach. There are not many fair criticisms of Derek Mason, the guy. So, but that's not how you're paid. You're not paid $4 million or $3 million to be a nice guy. I have almost none of those critics, like from a person perspective, zero. I mean, you know how I feel about him. He's, especially with his trust of other people, his concern for others. A lot of times head coaches walk around They're you know, they have their little minions running around after them, you know, at their every beck and call. They're not really invested in the person passing by them in the hallway. And that is not Derek Mason. He's stopping being like, Dugan, what's up in terms of, you know, who they are as humans. And that's a testament to him. Everything trickles down. Well, I, I have, like you, because of being here in Nashville and covering college football, I've gotten to know Derek uh, over the last few years, got to talk to him every week. And, um, you know, he's he's at home with the wife and the, and the family, listening to Marvin Gaye, having a nice dinner. He's doing just fine. He'll, he'll land on his feet somewhere as a defensive coordinator. But Vanderbilt, um, I'll let Chris Lee sort of explain a little bit more in detail about some of these guys, but it does feel like it's down to four candidates. Jeff Fisher, that's right, Jeff Fisher. Uh, Jimmy Chadwell at Coastal Carolina, who is also in the mix at South Carolina, but it doesn't feel like South Carolina, doesn't feel like Coastal Carolina is good enough for South Carolina. Um, they look down on Myrtle Beach. Too much Myrtle Beach on on Jimmy Chadwell, apparently, for South Carolina. I look like um, I'm dressed in Myrtle Beach right now. <laughs> Let's take a second. That's the official Myrtle Beach attire <laughs> i should put the hood up i feel like it would uh, yeah be right. you probably should so uh chadwell's a big candidate will will healy at charlotte who is a guy that i will say deserves an opportunity everywhere and clark lee of course the defensive coordinator at notre dame who is a vanderbilt alumni who unfortunately for him he might be a great coach unfortunately for him i just think is way too much exactly like Derek mason he's a smart guy defensive coordinator at a smart guy school on a top 10 program at an academic school without any head coaching experience. And I just think that's not going to look good with. You're just saying he's too smart. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's a smart kid school. Uh, You you see, you know, Stanford, Stanford, Notre Dame. Oh, I know. Top 10 Vanderbilt also cares about that deeply. Um, And, and it, and it's something I meant to bring up before we moved on to the candidates, but like, it sounds like we're saying a lot of negative stuff about Vanderbilt. And while it's true, we need to see Vanderbilt commit resources what also is true is there is a shit ton of stuff to sell about Vanderbilt to recruits and to people yes. like Nashville's a great city. There's better recruiting talent in this area of the country than anyone realizes in, in Tennessee. Academics sell big time with the parents of the recruits. Like there's a, there's a lot to sell about Vanderbilt. And I've talked to a few coaches, Aaron, 
all of whom would be interested in the job if offered. Mm-hmm. And all of them use the word potential with the word with, with when I say, tell me what you think about Vanderbilt. And, and a lot of the, a lot of people use the word potential. And so that's why we talk about Vanderbilt with, man, if you guys just committed some resources and made a substantial investment, you actually, we, we might actually learn what the ceiling could be for Vanderbilt. We don't know what it is right now. I'm glad you said that just, and this will be very brief, but because I would like to take this second to say that their investment academically and from a student athlete development perspective and for job opportunities, they are pouring into everyone, including the student athletes. The main thing that needs to happen is on a physical front. It's facilities. It's that kind of thing. It's not the investment in these kids as athletes that from student athlete development and everything in between that is there. It's physically, can you make this what it needs to be? No, so I, I don't think that delineation is probably made enough. Van- Vanderbilt's biggest problem is Vanderbilt. Like that, <laughs> that's it. Like it's not more complicated than that. If they got out of their own way and just wrote a big check for football, they would find themselves with, and I actually think Vanderbilt's in a really good spot here with a lot of really good coaches. I, Will Healy's the guy I would hire. I would hire Will Healy. He grew up a Vanderbilt fan. Why do we fan. keep agreeing on shit? He, he grew up a Vanderbilt fan. He's from Chattanooga. He, you know, he went Austin P is in Clarksville, which is just north of the city, which is one of the worst programs in all of college football. And he turned them into a winner. He cre- he's James Franklin without any baggage. He's a young, <laughs> vibrant personality guy with a lot of culture that he creates out of thin air. He's a winner. I, I would hire him at South Carolina. I would hire him at Vanderbilt. I would hire him. If I'm a Tennessee fan and I'm trying to fire Jeremy Pruitt in two years, I would hire Will Healy. He's going to have – Will Healy seems to have an air of transparency, which is going to be really important because there may not be as many donors at Vanderbilt, but there are some really big ones, maybe not strength in numbers of how many people, but strength and potential to give of a few. And if you can just be transparent with the people who are investing in that program – and create a vision, execute on it, get people on your side, and then just give people something to cling to. Because there's a lot of sometimes things that Vanderbilt don't always feel that transparent. And I don't think that's on purpose all the time, but it it happens. So with donors, it's especially important to be able to create a vision and you know actually execute it. And I think he's the guy because he has that air of humanity that it's not all coach speak with him. No, oh, it, it's, and he's, he's young and connected to the athletes and again, very, in, yep. very inexperienced, very unproven, but, but culture, he builds culture, but he's the young culture builder. There's a lot of really good older guys that can build culture too. I, I do think Clark Lee is going to be the guy though that gets hired. You do. I, I, I do. I, I, I just don't think they'll look, they'll, I think they will interview Will Healy. They will talk to him. They will love him. And they'll be like, you're just not ready yet, which is like so Vanderbilt. <laughs> they did what they did it with James Franklin. But you know who made that call, right? I do. That was very David, well. That was David Williams. And so he, he's all right. You know, who's very, you know, who has a lot of similar values. That's and true. Stubbornness is Candace Lee and David <laughs> Williams. They're yeah. like. That is true. David Williams, the former uh, athletic director for Vanderbilt, of course, who passed away recently. So, uh, all right, that, that's enough Vanderbilt. That's a lot let's, of Vanderbilt. Yeah. Wow. Let, dude, you got, look how much Vanderbilt you got on the show. I so know. much Vanderbilt. Yes. All the Commodore, just everywhere. All right. So let's, Go llamas. let's, 
Let's talk South Carolina real quickly before we get to Auburn, because I think Auburn, and then we're going to hear from Chris Lee from Vandy Sports. He's going to give you more insight into Vanderbilt. Then we're going to look, of course, at uh, week 14, I believe. I'm, I'm losing track of all the big games that are coming up. A&M at Auburn, Tennessee and Florida, uh, Alabama, LSU, a lot of good games coming up. So we'll get to all that in just a few minutes. But uh, South Carolina, it looks like Shane Beamer is your favorite in the clubhouse right now. We're taping this on Tuesday evening. He is the assistant head coach, offensive guy for for uh, Oklahoma, which I have some questions about because Lincoln Riley is the mastermind at Oklahoma. He was on the South Carolina coaching staff from 07 to 2010, I believe, born in Charleston, son of Frank Beamer, the great coach at Virginia Tech. So a lot of a lot of boxes that he checks. It's just very uninspiring to me. Uh, Billy Napier at Louisiana is still in the mix. Jimmy Chadwell apparently interviewed but is not a, a candidate. As far as the top-level guys go, it appears that Ray Tanner, the athletic director, has won and that Hugh Freeze will not be a part of the conversation because we know he does not want to hire Hugh Freeze. We know the president would hire Hugh Freeze, but not the athletic director. Um, so it does feel like Scott Satterfield, also the head coach at Louisville, which I think is a great testament to South Carolina, that he's even interested in taking the job at South Carolina. Uh, if you end up with Scott Satterfield, I think you're doing great work. If you get Billy Napier, I think you've done great work. If you end up with Shane Beamer, I just don't know. He's unproven, never been a head coach. I don't know. The When you look at Shane Beamer's resume, the thing that most stands out to me is how, how many different places he's been in the SEC. So he has seen a lot. Was he at Georgia at one point? Tennessee? I don't remember where he was in the rankings. Grad assistant or he was, was he? I guess he was a grad assistant for Tennessee. But he's kind of made his rounds in the SEC, but you're right about it, you know, from a head coaching perspective, he doesn't have that. And is South Carolina willing to make that risk on someone who has not been a head coach? So your overall vote, what would it be? Would it be Scott Satterfield? If you can lure him away from a power five school in the ACC, that's probably a top half school in the ACC like from a program standpoint, I, I would consider that a huge victory if I'm South Carolina. He did a great job at Appalachian State. That's right up the road from Columbia. Um, it, you know, I, I think that's a great – I think we know Billy Napier wants the job at Louisiana, and so I would – I think you could do a lot worse than those two guys. I, I would vote for both of them over Shane Beamer. That, but, but, again, that doesn't mean that Shane Beamer is not a, a high – you know. What do you think about Ray Tanner hosting a Zoom meeting – for 80 of the team's lettermans to all give their input about the position. <laughs> Do you think that's valuable if and only if you take their advice? Because if you have them all on Zoom and you're like, thanks for being here, guys. This was a PR stunt. We're not listening to any of that. You're going to go in the opposite direction. Yeah, I think if you do small group setting, it feels more legitimate. And it feels more, like you said, it's less PR stunty. If you do it in like a, if you had like an eight or 10 person Zoom and you had a lot of big time former players, you know, make statements and have commentary. And then it appears at least that you're trying to make sure that you care about what they say. Then it's less PR stunty. Is that a word? It is now. There's just 0% chance that you've heard anything meaningful when you have 80 people on a Zoom. That's why it feels like it lacks 
genuine nature to me. Yeah. But I All don't right. know. Who do you want at South Carolina? Who do you want to see outside of Hugh Freeze? <laughs> I mean, the fact that you even brought that up. If I'm them, I want Scott Scott Satterfield or Jamie Chadwell. But I, I, I was I will say I know more about Jamie Chadwell than Scott Satterfield. But I cannot disagree with you in the sense that I feel like they might be a little bratty about Myrtle Beach. Mm. Hire a guy who's nine and zero. You can do a lot worse. It's true. Yes. I think they they have some good options. Game day is going to be down there with with uh, Coastal Carolina and Liberty this weekend. Hugh Freeze and Jamie Chadwell. Winner gets the Auburn job. How about that? Don't you think that they're probably thinking we really got game day during 2020 <laughs> for real? I would be ecstatic about it if I was them. That's great. I would, I, I would take it no matter what. Who cares? Of course you take it no matter what. But the this the feel of game day is the 5 a.m., 4.30 a.m. crowd – like uh, when ain't, Vanderbilt ain't nobody, played Auburn, ain't, ain't nobody getting up. At, ain't nobody getting up at five a.m. in Myrtle Beach. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I had fake eyelashes on at five a.m. when Vanderbilt up. played Auburn when I was a freshman. So you were, you were still up. Hell no, I wasn't still up. I had to be game day ready. Oh, game time. day was the game day was at Vanderbilt. Yeah, when we beat, we went five and zero against Auburn in two thousand eight. I'm just so surprised. I just didn't know Van, Vanderbilt has ever hosted game day. I just didn't know that. Okay, well, I thought you worked in sports for the last 16 years. I thought you might be familiar, especially I, since you live in Nashville. Any other I, things to say? I, I thought you could take a joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not a joke when you're gluing on eyelashes at 4.35 a.m. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. No, it's not, it's very, very serious at that point. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Honestly, nothing's ever been more serious than I, that moment. Gluing on eyelashes at 2.30 in the afternoon would be very serious for me, so I don't understand what it would feel like at 4.30. That's that's for it's sure. pretty um, serious all around. You know what? We, we forgot to mention a story before we move on to Gus Malzahn because I'm going to talk Auburn real fast before we get to Chris Lee. A lot of stuff coming <laughs> on the show today. But we do have to mention, speaking of, uh, of eyelashes and not understanding gluing on eyelashes, as a girl dad, uh, I do. I, we do have to give Sarah Fuller some love here because she's on the oh, depth I didn't chart. Forget. She's on the depth chart again against Georgia, and I, I guess my take, Aaron, I'll, I'll, you've got way more room to speak on this than I do. I, I just my take is I just don't care what anybody has to say. I just don't care. I don't care what you thought the, you know, the motivations were. I don't care what you think the reasons were. I don't care what happened in practice. I, I just actually don't care. I don't care about any of it. I, I just. It, it meant a lot to my four-year-old daughter and that's it. That's it. It's not more complicated than that for me. She, she was ecstatic to watch it. She asks me all the time watching sporting events all the time, you know, daddy, we're all the girls and I don't have good answers for her. And I could show her like, I'm not even kidding. We watched the Packers bears game on Sunday night. You know, if the Packers are on, I'm going to try to brainwash her. So the Packers are on and I gave her a few minutes and she looks at me within 30 seconds and she goes, where's the girl from, you know, from early. And like, I was like, no, she plays for Vanderbilt. And that's a, that's a moment where if you're a Vanderbilt grad, you're going, no, no, no. Like my team just got in that person's conversation with their daughter because that's where she plays. She plays at Vanderbilt. So. You can't care about those people because here's the thing. If it had been any other given year, no COVID, 
team wins the SEC championship, your kicker's not performing that well, and you act like you're going to put in a female soccer player because you want to and think that's a good move, that's a PR stunt. When you are actually immersed in COVID and the way that this went down, people can say it's a PR stunt if they want to. I guarantee you, and Darren Ambrose, our head soccer, Vanderbilt's head soccer coach, said this. If we had had a men's soccer team, they would have been first on the list, which I was really good friends with a club soccer player at Vanderbilt when we were having some, you know, lacking on special teams when I was in school. And that's the first place Vanderbilt football went. And it was Derek. It was Derek. Well, it was probably the very end of the James Franklin era. And he was still there when Derek Mason. So I can't remember which one it fell under, but they went to men's club soccer first. And that's what they would have done in this case. If we had a soccer team, if we had an active men's club soccer team, they thought someone was a candidate. I think this is the best scenario that this could have happened in because it was the realist. And if you want to hate on it and you say it's not real, that's fine. But I will say that I've tried to get Derek Mason when I was, you know, doing video production to do a lot of things to put him in the spotlight to make him look good. I'm begging him like, coach, will you do this? Coach, will you be in this intro video shoot? And he's like, no, Dugan, I don't want to do that. He it's it's not about that for him. There are some marketing minded coaches. I just don't think that was what he was doing. And I'm thankful because as a female, you want someone to do that when it actually matters. You don't want a sympathy card. You want it to really make a difference or at least have the potential to. So I'm thankful that this happened in an opportunity that was the closest to really being a need. And hopefully it really was. What's interesting is I have no issues with a woman saying, I want it to be real. I don't want it to be a publicity stunt. I, I don't want to hear a man say that. Like, if a man says that, I don't give a shit. If you say it, I care. And, it, and I'm like, you know what? That makes sense. I agree with you. I'm glad that it mattered. You know, I'm glad that it was the result of, again, I personally don't care because my daughter is what matters to me. Yep. Your opinion matters to me. I don't care what dudes are saying because if you have a problem, and here's the other issue. This was a kickoff, executed well in a, and I don't mean to be rude here, but in a blowout in a meaningless football game. Like, I'm not trying to be rude, but it was 41 to nothing. <laughs> okay. And if you've got a problem, if that's what's keeping you up at night, then I think you are sort of the problem. It's exactly what Mike Wright tweeted out right before the game. The freshman backup quarterback at Vanderbilt tweeted out, we're excited to have Sarah on the team. This is, you know, not exact quote. We're excited to have you're, Sarah you're on the team. Paraphrasing. You know, she's here to help us win. If you have an issue with that, maybe you should look in the mirror, something to that extent, which those, especially the younger guys on the team, really have her back. And I'm thankful that, you know, the guys on the up and up at Vanderbilt are people that are open-minded enough to not only embrace it, but also defend it when they feel like people are coming to attack her, which, you know what, they should do an open tryout with all the guys that are blasting her on Twitter and they should all come in and see who kicks a better field goal, the Twitter trolls or Sarah Fuller. <laughs> well, it's 100% Sarah Fuller. I, I understand like an athlete on the football team who thinks he can do better, maybe getting a chance to try out. Okay, yeah. fine, fine. But like the guy on the, the keyboard warrior 
<laughs> who who could not get a football 15 yards down the field because he weighs three and a half spins and he writes for <laughs> and he writes for some dog shit website like that's that that's a different that's a different story all right and that's a weight joke and i'm sorry <laughs> you've made two of those i'm sorry lately. if you're if you're if you're if you're three four bills you shouldn't be you shouldn't be asking questions about athletic ability of people. Sometimes when I laugh really hard, the vein in my forehead like comes out. It sounds like a personal problem. It uh, definitely is. It's someone right. else's issue. Let's keep going. All right. Gus Malzon, Auburn Tigers, before we get to Chris Lee from Vandysports.com. He he got destroyed by Steve Sarkeesian without even Nick Saban being around. And they in the Iron Bowl, it was not close. Auburn Auburn got destroyed. There's no question about that. He is now three and five, Gus Malzon against Alabama which is two more wins against Nick Saban in Alabama than every other head coach in the SEC combined. Ed Orgeron has one win against Nick Saban. He's one and six. Dan Mullins, 0 for 9. Kirby Smart, 0 for 3. Jeremy Pruitt, 0 for 3. Jimbo Fisher, 0 for 4. We can go down the line. I'm not suggesting that every single Auburn fan should decide on Gus Malzahn based on one game, but I have been led to believe my entire career that you could go – I've literally heard an Auburn fan tell me this for 15 years. They call into shows, and they tweet me, and they go, well, Braden, we go 0-11, but we beat Bama. It's fine, man. And I'm going – and I got so much heat on – because I put out that, that stat on Twitter on Saturday, Aaron, and Auburn fans came back at me so hard with – it's not about Alabama. It's how he's coaching against LSU and A&M and Georgia and all the other rivals, and they're not good enough and blah, 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 blah. And I'm not saying they're wrong. They're right. So Gus, <laughs> Gus, Malzahn has, Gus Malzahn has two more wins than all of the rest of the SEC combined against Nick Saban. And, and like, again, they've had chances. All right? And everybody goes, well, but it's, you know, they're doing better things. And, and I'm going, do you think Georgia and LSU and, and, and A&M and Tennessee are trying less than Auburn to win national championships? No, they're not. And their dudes can't beat Nick Saban, but your guy can. I guess my only question, I, I'm, I'm kind of rambling here. The only question I have is, are, have we reached a point where Auburn fans have sort of been like Sabanized into actually being logical and reasonable? about their team because they're right it should not be about just alabama it should be about the body of work but i've never heard that from auburn fans before i've only heard bama 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 i've never heard anything but it's all about bama Ooh, that Does that question makes sense yeah and it it's interesting I wonder what got them there. Is it just Alabama being so dominant that they're like, oh, great. Okay, well, we got to go. We got to think about something else because they're number one. They're kicking everybody's butt. We have to go somewhere else. Where is it? Is that leading them to be reasonable? Nick Saban has just – he's going to win his seventh national championship this year. Seven. And and I Auburn fans, again, Gus Malzahn has won two divisions, has beaten Nick Saban three times, has been to a national championship game, won a championship as a coordinator with Cam Newton. Like, there's a lot on the resume to like. The last three years, he's 13-11 and 11 in the SEC. That is not good enough at Auburn. And I'm okay with that conversation. I think that's a smart and rational and reasonable conversation to have. I just don't remember the last time I had a smart and reasonable and rational conversation with Auburn fans about Auburn football. 
Honestly, Rationable would have worked there too. Fine. In like a weird way. I'm not even sure why I'm yelling. It's got to be the martini. Well, wish I had been on board of that train that I wasn't invited on, but... Get on the Gus bus. We're not on a train tonight. We're on the Gus bus. Gus bus. I wonder and hate to be woo my yoga loving self at the expense of sounding a little woo. Maybe Auburn fans have been meditating more, you know? You mean woo Just, like like chill or like woo girl? No, woo is like, you don't know what that- Dude, like I'm woo. 38 with two kids. What, what the okay, hell well, is woo mean? I don't necessarily know that if it, it's age discriminatory, this term. However, I will tell you, hate to digress here. When you say ping, I'll ping you when I'm ready for the Zoom meeting, no one my age says that. Like but ping, ping is not a thing? No, um, it's like saying you have a deck. It's a PowerPoint. Anyways. Well, maybe if you showed up on time once in a while. Don't even start <laughs> with me today. I haven't even slept, so don't go there. I. Wait, so what, did, what the hell does woo mean? What does that woo mean? Woo is like the yogi kind of holistic meditative like. Okay. Um, so like, orga- like organic or crunchy or granola or. Uh, I don't know it's, if it's much. It's not so Colorado. Like like Zen. 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 Like me, you're like, you go to yoga. Like I'm drinking a green juice, whatever. That's woo. <laughs> Some kombucha. I don't oh. like that. I don't like the texture, but Spons yes, same. <laughs> so maybe they're med. How did we get here? Maybe they're just meditating and they've come to this like weird realization that we just need to focus inward. I you know. I would assume watching your arch in-state rival win seven national, I guess it's six, six national championships this year would drive you to look inward. <laughs> like, I really, you have no other choice. I really do think that that's appropriate. Now, I still think trying to come up with a new word for Zen because it sounds like 1999 is stupid, but whatever. Um, I, I, I agree. I think that it, I, was, I was honestly, Aaron, I was honestly shocked at the reaction I got from Auburn fans saying, hang on, it's not all about Alabama. It's about the whole big picture. And I was going, what the fuck? Have you ever been pleasantly surprised about Auburn and or Alabama fans talking about each other? There was a few, I mean, there was a few like you dumbasses. I mean, there well, was- Yeah, but I mean like- <laughs> You know, it didn't feel very woo, Majority you know? minority in this case, like, yes. That's that's out of that's off the beaten path of how Alabama and Auburn fans talk about each other. You had to be shocked. It, they they were being very unwoo. That's all I know. It was wow. very unwoo. No, that is woo. The, the dog cussing me and being disrespectful. Oh, those and rude. people. Oh, you mean yeah. the outliers? I thought you were talking about. The no, Michigan. they were all like that. But they were all. Here's the thing. This is what I'm saying. It was very Auburn because they were crazy and pissed off and angry. Because they just gotten smoked by Alabama in the Iron Bowl. But they were being they they were were kind of right. Right. But they were all like, no, it's oh. about the big picture. It was very, this is what I'm saying. It was so, I did not know what to do with myself. I was looking at Twitter going like, how am I supposed to respond to this person? Wow. Did you? I love college football. So I want to talk to the fans and I want to be a part of the conversation and let's see what they're thinking. And so then I put stuff out into the ether and I don't use the mute button. I don't, you know, I'm a never blocker. What's the mute button? I'm a never blocker. I'm a never muter. Oh, you just say people mute people on Twitter? Yeah, I don't do any of that stuff. I, I just, no. I, I, I give, give me all the cesspool. Give me the sewers of the Twitter. I, I want to bathe in the, in, the, in the Twitter sewers. That's kind of your vibe. But I was just, I was just kind of taken aback by 
I mean, genuinely angry, pissed off Auburn fans, but making sense, pissed off, angry Auburn fans. And that that's... makes no sense. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Mic drop. Yep, I do. You know what I'm saying? Okay. All right. With that, with that being said, I don't Have we think- we talked for a long time? Yes, very long time. I don't think you should fire <laughs> Gus Malzahn, but I think they probably are going to try. That's my, that's how this, that's how this ends. All I'm going to say is I wouldn't right now. I agree with you. We've got all the games of week 14 coming up in just a few minutes. We're going to do all of that and dive into all those games and take a look at week 14, whatever the hell it could look like. But coming up next, Chris Lee from VandySports.com with a thorough breakdown of the coaching search for the Vanderbilt Commodores right here on Fringe Element 440 Sports Network. Chris, thank you so much for joining us and giving us a few minutes of your time. No, number one, in this coaching search for Vanderbilt, who is going to be making the ultimate decision? Final call. The names are on the desk. Who, is there a singular person that's going to make this call, or is it a group? That's a tough call. I'm, I'm sure Candace Lee will be involved. I would think that Tommy McClellan, the assistant AD, will be involved. I think and this is my opinion just based on trying to get background, I think that Daniel Deermeyer, the chancellor, will make the ultimate call. I think that he will hold the cards in this. I'm not reporting it. I'm not telling you that I know it for 100% certainty, but from the background I've got, I feel like ultimately he is the guy that's going to pull the string. Do you expect this to be a prolonged search, or do you think that when they made the move that they had a, a particular list involved? And it sounds like you're saying no search firm in this process at all. Which I, oh, which I agree with. <laughs> I, I've, I, I'm not saying there is or isn't. I have not heard that yet. You know, the speculation has been when they pulled the plug when they did. Well, first of all, that's a very unvandy-like thing, right? I mean, you've been around this area a long time. They usually, hell or high water, wait till after the season. So them pulling the plug at this, this juncture is interesting. I don't know if it is a signing day thing if it's a we just finally had enough. Because I've been thinking for a while they were going to do this. That's what I've been hearing. Uh, I think that's probably what you've been hearing. But, you know, the, the timing's interesting. I mean, it, it it makes this a question, right? Because you have a class of kids that by Vanderbilt standards is fairly good that you've got to think about protecting. You also probably, and, and this is a rare Vandy thing, Vanderbilt's not been proactive, right? So to get out and get your name ahead, I've been saying this for a while, if you know you're going to make the move, get it out there, jump everybody else in line. I don't know if this was part of a grander plan. Again, I've been hearing for a while he's going to be gone. If something happened this weekend where they just said, now's the time to pull the trigger, and that was the fuse that lit the match. But the timing of it is interesting. It's caused a lot of speculation. I don't know that any of us know for a fact, though, uh, why that is. So what would be your message to any coaches – considering taking this job they, they get interviewed they get offered the job if you're one of those coaches what are the questions you are asking the Vanderbilt administration the people that are interviewing you mm -hmm. for for the head coaching job what would be role play here Chris what would be your questions well my questions would be show me your facilities plan uh, give me timelines give me amounts show me what that's going to look like make me a promise e either announce it and get it out there or write something in my contract and I think that James Franklin did this with the indoor practice facility where I think he said you know by x amount of date if it's not x far along then I get this amount of a bonus something along those lines I don't know exactly how I would structure it but I'd want to know answers there 
I'd also want to know about support because that's been a big thing. I've just heard too much stuff about factions of that school having control over athletics decisions. Admissions is the thing that people talk about. I don't know that their requirements are as restrictive as they've been made out to be. I don't think that they're unreasonable because you've got to go to Vandy and do the work, right? But I would want to make sure that I had control over football, that I'm not having people infringing on my turf and making decisions about my things where they have no knowledge of that. You know, there were just too many things that came out over the last year about the condition of that program. You know, they went without air conditioning in the locker room for two months. For crying out loud, how does that happen in the summer? Just things like that where I'm just making sure that I've got a budget, I've got the authority, that when something looks wrong, I'm going to be the guy that makes the call and nobody's going to be messing in my business who doesn't belong. When you look at some of the candidates, uh, you know, there's a whole host of people that would love to come coach in Nashville, Tennessee, in the SEC at a prestigious university like like Vanderbilt. It, it is a, it's a, we, we know through James Franklin and Derek Mason that they have no problem writing the checks to the coaches. It's a, it's a lucrative job, prestigious job. When you look at some of these names and some of the candidates, certainly some of the names that I've floated out there, let me see what you think about just being different. In, in general, philosophically, James Franklin was a different hire. We can, we can, we can go back and relitigate his entire tenure. There's plenty to talk about. But he was certainly different. He was unproven. He was charismatic. He was young. You know, a recruiting guy that came in and sort of built culture out of thin air. It, it was a different hire. H- how do you feel about the, the word different when I, attag- when I attach it to the Vanderbilt coaching search? Is that the direction you feel like this program should go? Well, here's the mistake that I see Vandy making over and over. This is the kind of coach we're going to get. And if people are listening, I'm, I'm putting my blinders on um, because they, they say that we're looking for this or we're looking for that. And look, Vandy is not the only school that's done this, right? You have schools that are looking for an innovative offensive mind or whatever. I think you make a mistake if you go that route because here's why. We know that there's been two coaches at Vanderbilt and athletics who've had huge success lately. I don't even have to tell you who they are because you know one's James Franklin and one's Tim Corbin. And Braden, you know as well as I do, what are the things that those guys have in common? Uh, basically, it is they are on top of everything all the time. Now, I, I think that both of them are, are physical freaks. I'm not sure if they actually sleep. Um, <laughs> that's hard to find, right? But the thing about both those guys is they don't miss a detail. Uh, James Franklin was always calling in the radio and making sure that they were on top of things. You know, if, if stations wouldn't have him on, he'd call in you know, riding around in his car. Tim Corbin used to call in the baseball scores, even if they lost, to make sure that they got that name out there. Those guys are so organized and detail-oriented. I frankly don't care. Now, look, if it's a guy that just runs strictly triple option or something like that, then you might have an issue in recruiting. But I really don't care if it's a defensive mind or an offensive mind or old guy, young guy, whatever. I just want to make sure if I'm them, I get a guy who is detail-oriented and on top of things and is going to be out there promoting the program. Yeah, I don't know that you have to be charismatic. Tim Corbin is not the most charismatic guy, but he's well-spoken, and he puts himself out there, and he works really hard. So I look at the mold of those guys and what they found with success, and I say, I go try to find one of those guys as best I can uh, that just fits in that on-top-of-everything mold. All right, well, well give me your, your, you know, your wish list, three to five guys that you think are on top and, and break down their chances to – to get the job and or be interested in the job? Well, we've done a hot board at andysports.com. And 
it had four names. And what I was trying to do with that was not just throw spaghetti against the wall and, hey, this sounds good. I was trying to say, here are guys where there's actually an angle, where the school's interested or they're interested or both are interested. I came up with four names. Um, Jeff Fisher was the fourth. I really don't see him as a big factor in this search, uh, but he is trying to get the job. I know with a thousand percent certainty. Uh, the, the three that I think, and I would take these three and say it's going to be one of these guys, and I would bet this against the field of everybody else. I think that it will probably be either Clark Lee, Notre Dame defensive coordinator, who's got Vandy ties. He played there. I would say Will Healy. Everybody knows that's a name that's going to come up. He had success at Austin P. He grew up a Vanderbilt fan. I had an uncle who was an All-American there. And I would say the third one, and this surprised me, but I've checked on this, and there seems to be legs, is Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina, who I think is a guy that a lot of people get excited with for good reason. I think all those guys are good choices. I think they've all got interests. I think you could settle on one of those three guys, and you'd be just fine. Jeff Fisher would be interesting. What, what are reasonable expectations for the next coach? Should they announce some sort of renovation or some sort of facilities upgrade or financial support to the program? You know, it's hard to say, right? Because we always say this is what a program ceiling is and this is what their floor is. And, and if we'd been having this conversation about Northwestern 30 years ago, we would have said they can never win. Or you, you would have said it about Duke because they went 50 or 60 years without winning. You know, if, if you said Boise State 30 years ago, you'd have been laughed out of the room, right? I always say it's hard for me to determine a ceiling. And I think it's particularly hard with Vanderbilt because let's, let's be honest, they haven't tried, right? So – if you get out there and you really make an effort, you get the right coach, you build facilities, you're in the best league in the country. You're in the best city within that league and one of the best cities in the country, period. And frankly, a lot of people don't see the school as a detriment. Yes, you might not be able to get in some kids that are going to get in at Florida and Georgia, but that degree sells parents, man. And, and if you're winning football games – um, I remember they had a particularly highly regarded kid who had some ties to the school who wound up at Alabama a few years ago that they had an in on. But ultimately, kids don't like to lose football games. They, they don't care if your education is number one or number 10. They'll go get a degree somewhere else. They'll play in the NFL. They'll market themselves. They'll be fine. I think if you take away the lousy football part, <laughs> the academics, uh, okay, that, that's another thing that you sell. And, okay, yeah. if your program is on par with some other schools, those schools don't have Nashville. They don't have the degree. I think that if Vanderbilt markets itself, um, and I, not markets maybe, but I think if it builds the things it needs to build a floor of reasonable success, all of a sudden all those other things really start escalating and working in your favor. I don't think we know what the ceiling of this job is because they just haven't tried. Yeah, and I do think a guy like Will Healy would, would personally be able to market Nashville, like whether it's on the uniforms, on the helmets, you know, the way the Predators have mixed Nashville into their game day experience. Like there's a way to make Nashville a bigger part of the presentation of the product, I think. Well, they've tried that. I mean, they, they've not exactly shied away from the Nashville thing. You had the skyline of Nashville on the back of their helmets. But again, I go back to when you're just getting pounded on Saturdays, uh, nobody really cares about that stuff. They, they will play in Starkville, Mississippi, if they can win football games. And so you've got to take care of that part, and then that's when those other things work in your favor. Yep. 
Chris, always a pleasure, man. Make sure you're checking them out, of course. Uh, VandySports.com podcast. VandySports.com is the website, the official Vanderbilt website of the Rivals.com network. Chris, follow him on Twitters at ChrisLee70. I believe I got that right. Yeah. Make sure you follow him there. Uh, appreciate your time. Check out the podcast, of course, right here on the 440 Sports Network. Always a pleasure, my man. Thank you. Thank you, Brayden. That was Chris Lee from VandySports.com. Special thanks for him giving us a few minutes of his time. There's very few people, Aaron. I know you're very well connected. I, I feel like I'm pretty well connected, but there's very few people in the Vanderbilt world that are more connected than Chris. So that's about as good insight into what's going on on West End, which is an area of Nashville that you will ever, ever get. We'll take a look at some of the Week 14 games. A&M at Auburn, huge game for the Aggies, of course. I don't, I don't want to call it a, a bad game against LSU, but it certainly, you know, they scored 13 points on offense. They needed to pick six to make it look better than it was. Sloppy game by Kellen Mond. Um, th- this is one of those games, like, Auburn's good enough to beat you on any given moment. But a and this is one of those games you got a committee to think about. you got beauty points to think about, style points. You- you've got to win every game, and you've got to look really good doing it. And this is probably the best game left on the schedule. So, you, you're going to have to go on the road and handle your business against Auburn and do it convinc- convincingly. Don't you dare edit that out. You were burping, weren't you? Uh, it was it was an internal burp. I'm very good at burping on the air. I've been doing it for a long time. All I'm going to say is, and you better leave this in, is that you get to edit it and I don't. Fair enough. So I would definitely leave that in. Um, Auburn, Auburn's hurt, though. They're missing some people, which could pose a problem. On the O-line, at least one, I don't, maybe some running backs are out. One or more, I can't remember exactly where they are on there, but they're going to be, they're going to be hurting on offense a little bit more than they otherwise would be. To me, Texas A&M, they'll pull it out, but you're right about the beauty points. And also to me, Florida is on the symbolic up and up in the college football playoff committee's mind. And to me, yeah. A&M's holding on and Florida's moving up. They're kind of more the Cinderella story, which that shouldn't matter. But I think A&M has to really win with a purpose to hold that spot. Because uh, Florida's all, on their tail. Of all the teams in the top six last week, the one that looked, quote-unquote, looked the worst in their game was cl- not even close was Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even close. I mean, Florida, you know, three and a half touchdown victory, Clemson, Notre Dame, all these teams dominated, you know, Alabama, the one that didn't was A&M. And so when you're in a, when you're in a horse race like that, you know, you, you got to be good. Uh, Alabama at LSU, a 30 point favorite. I don't, that, that's unlike anything I've ever seen. And I just feel bad for LSU and I feel bad for the game. You know, the SEC is doing its best job to try to get the games in, but like it's, you know, it, it feels like such a joke that this, I, I don't know. I just feel bad that it's turned into a joke. Like I want it to be good, you know? I think I normally have, you know, some written bullet points to talk about. I didn't write anything under this because I don't know what to do with the 30 point spread. You're like, how did we get here from last year? I don't know. Oh, I've got a few ideas. I mean, we know, but it's, it's hard to really elaborate on it because you're exactly what you just said. You're sad for the game. Yeah. And there's no reason rehashing the last nine months of our lives. Um, 
All right, Alabama big, I guess. Um, Florida at Tennessee. Tennessee's got the Rona this week as well. Uh, a couple guys tested positive after the Auburn game. They're, they've had a bunch of players contact traced into quarantine. They, they may be missing a quarterback. You know, th- this is one of those moments where Florida is surging. Tennessee is reeling. They got a kid kicked off the team this week because of some off-the-field issues. They're losing recruits. Like, this is, this is not a good run for Jeremy Pruitt the last few weeks. It's not, and – On that same front, his press conferences lately have all sounded the same. And I have a feeling this one will be no different, which is we're not making plays um, when people are talking about – because I've watched a couple of his press conferences today, dork, dork alert. He never changes. Like, his voice is just like Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Tuesdays. We're going to do a press conference. I like, it's the same. He never, his voice inflection, which I actually, I can actually appreciate that, that he's just like even keel all the time. If that's the way he coaches, then I like that. If that's the way he recruits, I like that. If that's the way he talks all the time, I like that. But we've also seen him kick a whiteboard on the sidelines. That's horrible. Yeah. He's just like, Garantano gives us the best chance to win. We're not making plays. That's on me. Like it's the same, it's the same press conference. Everything's the same. And I think that's part of the reason why Tennessee fans are really frustrated because you're not getting anything new. Kind of feels like a lack of transparency. I'm not sure if it really is or if he just really likes those same three sentences. But maybe you get to see Harrison Bailey, which would probably excite people a little bit more than not exciting them at all. Probably. Uh, side, side note here on Kyle Pitts. So vote for the Blitnikoff Award, the best wide receiver in America. And, I've, and Kyle Pitts was on the list. He is a tight end, but he was on the list. And so if you put him on the list, I feel obligated to vote for people that are on the list. So I voted for Kyle Pitts, number one. Now you're only in the semifinal round right now, so you fill out like 10 guys. But like Elijah Moore's on there, Devonta Smith, a bunch of SEC guys. I, I just think if Kyle Pitts is on the list, then I have to vote for him if I think he he's should've... the best, right? But he's a tight end, which is also the John Mackey Award, which is a different award. So was I wrong for voting for him? Do you get to vote in that too? I do not actually. Oh, so maybe you should just vote for him this time. You know what you should also vote for him for? This is supposed to be a joke. If you get it, I'm going to laugh. Who should take Aaron to prom? Yes! Well, I was going to say prom king, but same same thing. I'll give it to you. It's a point. It's a point on the Aaron Dugan scale of points. It doesn't matter at all. (laughs) It's a good scale to be on. Great Um, scale. No, I'm a Heisman voter. I am a Lou Groza award for the best kicker. I and I vote for the Bolitnikov. I vote for God, there's a few other ones. The out, the Outland Trophy. I think I vote for. I'm not sure. I I lose track. But they're all very important, though. We should get you on the other list. Which ones are you lacking? I don't. I don't. I don't need to be on the other list. I'm on enough lists. Uh, Arkansas. In the prom list. Keep going. There you go. Arkansas at Missouri. Listen, I don't. I don't know if the fans actually care. This is a weird take. I'm not sure the fans of either of these teams should care about the outcome of this game. And really should just sit back and enjoy the game because you are already both ahead of schedule. Arkansas fans love Sam Pittman. He's already better than they thought. Eli Drinkwitz has won four games. Like, they got a chance to win five or six games this year. That's what that Vegas had their odds at three. Like, if you're one of the fans of these two teams, who can Like, have fun, man. Just get wasted this weekend. I am in love with Sam Pittman. <laughs> we know. <laughs> You, what do you think I was going to say right you there? You didn't need the dramatic pause. I was trying not to say like. <laughs> I was uh, trying not to say like. Yeah, um, totally. They they should both totally just party this weekend. They're 
absolutely both ahead of their trajectory. Mizzou is almost twice the Vegas odds on where they thought they would be. And that's hard to do. Vegas is normally right. Well, they got to win a couple more games to get there, but they're yeah, already, but... They, they've already hit the over though. So they've hit the over. So they won four. Yeah. They're over the over under was three wins for Missouri this year. And that was with a 10 game schedule adjusted after, you know, the rescheduling. Right. Have fun. Uh, Vanderbilt at Georgia, South Carolina at Kentucky, of course, wrapping up the program this mer- mercifully wrapping up the program this evening. Help. Georgia still keeping an eye on JT Daniels, Vanderbilt, still Sarah Fuller going to be on the field. And, you know, I, South Carolina, Kentucky, like I just am struggling and I, I enjoy Kentucky football and I'm struggling to find a reason to really be interested in this game. I'm really struggling. Brad, I don't know. This is off the record, but I don't know if I have a lot to say about this game. I feel like it's at the end of my notes. I didn't really write anything down. I don't know what to say. You didn't write anything down for the Alabama LSU game. Yeah, but I didn't need to. True, but. You're leaving this all in, I can tell. Of course I am. <laughs> We're having a conversation about these games. I I don't know. I really, I'm glad this is at the very end because I have nothing to say about this game, quite literally. All right, how about this? Let's end the show. Let's have a great weekend let's watch some football let's drink a lot of cocktails let's wear a lot of llama suits and let's have a good happy safe socially distanced weekend watching college football in our own houses how about that that sounds good please follow her where (laughs) and what's her name who is she i don't want to tell after this aaron dugan you can just search me on something and if it pops up and it seems right follow it my name is brad engall you can follow me (laughs) at brad engall on twitter you have been a brad today thank you for listening thank you for listening to the fringe element on the 440 sports network